The Gophers snapped the streak in a wild and crazy finish in Iowa City. I got Ron Johnson and Kane Rob with me to break it all down. It's coming up next on today's Locked On Gophers Postcast. You are Locked On Golden Gophers Postcast. Part of Locked On Minnesota on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, what's up, what's up? Back at it, another Golden Gophers postcast episode right here on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. You got myself, Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spinman. Joining me as always, we got Kane Robb, host of the Lockdown Gophers podcast. He's on X, at Gophers Kane Robb. And then, of course, we got the legend, Gophers Hall of Famer Ron Johnson, host of the Ron Johnson Show. Follow him on X if you haven't already, at 3 Ron Johnson. All right, fellas. Tons to discuss and break down in this one as the Gophers snap their eight-game losing streak versus Iowa. P.J. Fleck picks up his first win versus the Hawkeyes by a final score of 12-10. to 10. But first, quick reminder, don't forget this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, let's jump right into it, boys, because here is the deal. Heading into this week, Gopher season, okay, not necessarily going according to plan thus far. Backbreaker versus Northwestern last month, then the beatdown versus Michigan the week before last. But last week, they get that much-needed time off, and the hope was they'd come back out of the bye well-rested, ready to go to finish kind of this last stretch of the season with a little bit more spark, a little bit more punch, so to speak. So, Ron, let's just start with you. Your kind of knee-jerk reaction to the Gophers coming out of the bye with Floyd on the line, by the way, and an absolute thriller to the very end. What were your just top two or three takeaways as you sat there and watched this one unfold? Well, you know, I mean, come on now. I got the cigar ready. I had the I had the champagne on ice. I got I got my my bottle service coming in the middle of the show, so that should be showing up in a minute. Had to had to had to get the brute, the brute, the big time special champagne. I bought it. I put it on ice uh, at the nine to ten mark. Now I'm gonna be honest. Nine to ten. Gophers were down nine to ten. I said, you know what? Let me put this champagne on ice because I feel like I feel like they're gonna pull this one off, and they did. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for DeGene. I love you. The number three has done some beautiful things in this go for Iowa rivalry. I wore number three. I set Iowa on fire. DeGene with the late hand. Tyler Newbin, you touch him, they give you the flag. Well, what happens? It bites you in the ass. You do it again when you're trying to say, get away from the ball, get away from the ball, and then you make the best play that we've ever seen in this rivalry. It never happened. That's my knee-jerk reaction. I got the cigar. As soon as we're done. Oh, I'm lighting this thing up. I got the butane lighter. I got the cutter. I'm ready with the champagne. And I'm having me a little old-fashioned. Why? Because the Vikings don't play till Monday. So I get to sleep in Sunday. And this was the best way to start my weekend. Appreciate you, Gophers. PJ Fleck. I need to frame that picture, put it in the Louvre. I got the oars behind me. Come on, man. You know what it is. Uh, Ron Johnson's final two games versus Iowa, by the way, now that he brought it up in 2000-2001, 14 catches, 261, and four TDs. Ron, you had the pleasure of beating Iowa three out of the four times you were a gopher. So what's it like holding Floyd? Because I heard that thing is legit like 90 pounds, man. She's a big girl, that Floyd grows. Yeah, if you notice, most of the videos, uh, the one they show from 1999, I'm, I, I kind of just got a hand on it because I don't want the weight. If you feel the weight, then you know you can't <laughs> let go. So you, 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 you hold it just to touch it. But you don't want the, the the brunt of the weight, unless you're willing to carry it around until it's all said and done. But yes, that thing is heavy. It takes at least two to three people to carry it. One strong guy could do it, but you're gonna you're gonna get tired, and you don't want to drop Floyd. 
Floyd, everybody said he took up residency in Iowa. Well, now he's coming back to Minneapolis. He's excited. He might even show up at the 49ers game. We know, we know when the Axe came back, Ooh. it showed up to a Vikings game. So I wouldn't be surprised if Floyd showed up to the Monday night. And by the way, there's my invitation to go for football. If you need Floyd on the Vikings game day live show Monday night, 5 to 6 p.m., let me know. I'll pick him up and I'll take him with me. We're parking right up front. We got Floyd ready to go. Hey, you heard it here first. Maybe a little good luck omen and some good vibes for the Vikings on Monday night for San Fran. A Kane, same question, man. I guess before we dive a little bit deeper into all the nuances and layers to this one, what was just your top two or three takeaways that you immediately think of as you watch this game transpire? My top takeaway by far is that, you know, Joe Rossi has gotten a lot of flack over the last few weeks with the defense kind of giving up holes and whatnot. Look, that second half was a clinic. 12 total net yards for Iowa's offense. Now, we know Iowa's offense was struggling uh, or deemed struggling heading in here as well, but 12 yards of offense for any school, FCS, D2, I don't care what it is, 12 yards in an entire half is tough to do. So I love to see that fight back from the Gophers and the defense, the pressure showing up. Now, there were some silly penalties here and there, some Mm -hmm. tic-tac things here and there, but overall, I really enjoyed seeing that defense answer the bell in that second half. Let's break this one up and start with the first half because it really felt like the tale of two halves in this one. You could just kind of feel the vibe if you watch the first half and then the second half side by side. Both teams traded field goals early on. Then you had the first turnover of the game early second quarter. Deacon Hill strip sacked and guess who? Tyler Newbin, Mr. Do-It-All, stud safety. He comes up with the ball. They end up going three and out. Kessich misses the 43-yarder into the wind this time. Guys, the wind and the weather ended up playing kind of a bigger factor than I think a lot of people thought or assumed heading into this one early on you saw PJ call two timeouts just to make sure they could kick that first attempt with the wind in the first quarter Ron I'll ask you because you've done it you've been there you've played in Iowa City before you've played in nasty conditions before so just how much does those 20 to 30 mile an hour winds play a factor especially in a low scoring game like this Oh, uh, it's huge. And by the way, like I said, my bottle service showed up. I can't even pronounce this, so I'm not going to even try to, but I know it was a gift. Uh, so this was a gift to me. I was waiting to figure out when I was going to pop it. What better time than to pop it tonight? Iowa with Minnesota, Minnesota with the wind. Uh, but yeah, no, no, 25 mile an hour winds. It, it is tough uh, to be for real. Um, one, some of the throwing things we saw, Ethan, you saw him really trying to drive the ball at times. And and I think that was overthought. Like sometimes you don't want to overthink it with the quarterback more so than with the kicker. Kicker, you kind of got to let them know, hey, if it's if it's going this way, you you saw one of the uh, one of the kicks he kind of put up into the left. Kessig mm-hmm. did, and then it kind of bent bent back right. And we we're like, oh, he yep, and he made it. And so that is tough on kickers and punters. You saw um, uh, the punter when you when you talk about putting it low, and they kept saying like low over end, uh, end over end punt. He was doing that for a reason. He didn't want to get it caught up in the wind where it gets pushed back or it becomes a, a BS punt. And everybody's like, dude, you're out here with 20-yard punt. So he wanted to get it low, keep it low. He is a rugby-style punter, which these were two Australian punters. Uh, they actually went to, uh, I think he called it football school together out in Australia. Um, and he has that ability to kind of rugby-style run up, kick it, and put it to where he wants it to go. Uh, because he was saying, like, when he was in Australia, he had the opportunity, if he could choose, to play quarterback. Well, Australian football rules, that's actually how they pass the ball with their feet. So he's very good at kicking it to where they want it to go. And so I think it it affects the punts and the kicks more than it does the players so much, uh, unless it's a deep ball. And that's why you didn't see a ton of deep balls 
uh, from Ethan Kelly. Manis, they they had a couple opportunities. They took shots. But, you know, some of them, it was more of just driving the ball through the wind, keeping that 15-yard pass in, mm -hmm. and that's it. As far as the receivers go, I mean, it doesn't move much if it's a hard-throwing ball. Okay. So some of the drops to me were very, uh, like, like the third down with uh, Brevin Span Ford, who did nothing today. Like, that that to me is perplexing to me because, like, we hyped him up as, like, a top first-round draft pick, uh, All-American, blah, blah, and – like you can't put somebody in an All-American just because they're six, seven, 270 pounds. Right. And that's what it feels like right now. And so for Ethan, uh, even Corey Crooms had a couple drops today. So Daniel Jackson was the saving grace for him. Uh, and and thank goodness Daniel Jackson showed up to play uh, because without some of those plays from Daniel Jackson, who knows what this game would have looked like. Yeah, and Kane, I was 6-1 and one coming into today, and that's with an offense that was dead last in total yards in the country so clearly I don't know to me anyways it just felt like a game that if you stripped it all down to just defense and special teams it was going to favor Iowa because they're a team that just knows how to win these types of games time and time again and you saw a lot of mental games I thought going back and forth between these two head coaches when it came to the field position game specifically um, what do you think of the cat and mouse games being played and how do you think PJ Fleck fared in that department going up against you know one of the better Big Ten coaches in the conference like how much credit should PJ get in this one you know I think the biggest thing in this one was turnovers to be honest mm -hmm. it always comes down to turnovers in these games and even though we only scored off of one of the two turnovers it came down to a two-point victory so that one score ended up being the difference I do give PJ Fleck credit but I still want to see more it wasn't like this was some amazing victory like that was a, a runaway like there were a lot of struggles in the first half there was a lot of like people questioning what are we doing play calling wise but they did enough to get it done and that's all that matters when you're counting the end of these games did you win the game that was enough for that week now they need to turn it on this next week because what we saw on the offensive side of the ball for golfers this week isn't going to get wins in the future. Now, I got it today, but we got to turn it up because you had injuries. You had the Zach Evans injury. We don't know what's happening there. I don't believe we saw Darius Taylor again after that tightrope walking down the end or the out-of-bounds line getting that first down. I'm not sure if we saw him again after that. So they're definitely going to have to figure more things out with this offense, but I did like a lot of the things I saw, especially defensively, and we took advantage of the field goals in this one. Dragon Kessic put him in. He, he I give him me major props because mm -hmm. he had that early miss and that could shake kickers yeah. especially with the wind trying to overthink pushing it like ron was saying but he kept it together and he put all the rest of them in and that ended up being the difference so i i do give major props for this win although we can still have more to be done that's actually a really good point and ron let me branch out on that because field position was always going to be a huge factor in this game but the other thing the other huge factor in a game like this kane just mentioned it turnovers and penalties and you saw heading into halftime Iowa on a third down Deacon Hill scrambles for no gain it's going to be fourth down Iowa's probably going to have to punt or try a long field goal Danny Strigow called for a personal foul hands to the face free 15 yards and an automatic first down okay it happens no big deal shake it off move on to the next play two plays later Gophers called for another penalty in the end zone. Pass interference. Iowa's ball at the 10. Very next play, Gophers called for defensive offsides. Another free five yards. Deacon then tries these multiple tush pushes. Doesn't get in. Gophers force a fourth down and goal. The play's well over. And then you get this goofy personal follower on Tyler Newbin for flicking the ball out of the Deacon's hands. They get four more chances at it. They only need one chance. They end up getting the touchdown on a quarterback sneak. But my point is, 
Four penalties on one drive, all at critical junctures of the game with under two minutes left. And in a low-scoring affair, you just can't give any team free chances like that over and over again. Luckily, it didn't end up costing them the game, but that would be ultimately the only time Iowa even scored a touchdown on the day was when the Gophers shot themselves in the foot run. Yeah, I mean, I, I tweeted it out. That was the that was a self-destructing drive. They mm-hmm. had more penalty yards than Iowa actually had gain yards. And so I think that's the biggest issue when you look at uh, – and there were probably a couple other penalties that could have been called in there, but the pass interference to me wasn't truly pass interference. Uh, the the out, yeah, that that one, he, you, you got to understand this guy can't run and you got him wrapped up. There's no reason to get super ridiculously aggressive in that moment. Now, when live bullets are flying – you, you just don't know. You're grabbing for everything. You don't want to have a missed tackle. And so I get it, but it's just like, mm. and then for Tyler Newbin, there was no reason to do that because even though he's in the end zone and he's trying to show the referees, he has the ball in the end zone. They had already ruled him like momentum stopped and progress stopped. So there's no reason that like knocking out his hand doesn't do anything. They're not going to see him without the ball and be like, oh, he's for sure not in the end zone. Like just let the refs figure it out because at that point, fourth and one, they probably kicked the field goal. And then the game is six to six at one point, then six to nine. And we're not sitting up here having that conversation because Iowa never scored again after that touchdown. And so if it's six to nine, the Gophers probably in this thing a little bit like without us having to like hold our breath. And, and again, still six to nine, you still hold your breath, but it, it might change the butterfly effect of this game. They come out in the second half, they start to get a little momentum and it does change it. But those penalties early then, uh, which Tyler Newman definitely came back and made a play later to kind of make up for that mistake. But that was the big key was this defense, as bad as we thought they played earlier this year, being you know one of the lowest in the Big Ten, being one of the worst on third down, they got it done when it mattered. And I think that's the only thing that matters now. Yeah, well said. Kane, last one on the first half, because Gophers going to halftime down seven. Offense was 0 for 7 on third downs, only 65 total yards on offense. Cali Manis, just three of eight. They had six penalties to Iowa's three. Only thing they really had going for them at that point in the first half was that one turnover, which again, they turned that into a missed field goal. So no points even off the turnover. But Kane, my question is, Deacon Hill threw eight passes last week. His over-under yardage total was 100 yards today. He had 96 yards at the half and was 7 of 13. Do you think Iowa surprised a lot of folks by just how much they were willing to come out and sling it around, especially in the gusty winds early on? Like, do you think that maybe threw PJ and the defense off a little bit early on? And how do you think they adjusted, if so, in the second half? Well, I think the adjustments, they definitely spoke for themselves in that second half. But one thing I think I'll I'll point out here is I don't know if they really caught people off guard, but they've usually, every game Iowa's played so far, they've been really good at their script in the opening halves of games. They've had the script where they get heavy uh, drives down the field. They get opening score drives, which we haven't seen from Iowa in the past, but this year they were getting points on opening drives. They were getting the ball down. And then all of a sudden, as the game would go on, that's when Iowa's offense would really dry up and you wouldn't see much. I think last week with uh, Deacon Hill coming in too, I think that he had some of his yardage in that first half and then really went out with a flicker in the second half. And that's kind of what we saw today. So I think the Gophers knew that there might be some opportunities or openings that they Iowa might find in the beginning of this game, but I think they responded really well with the adjustments in the second half. Okay, I want to get into the second half and how the Gophers kind of rallied back into this one. But first, quick reminder, don't forget this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Trust me when I say there's no better way to bet on sports 
than with FanDuel. And there's never been a better time to start wagering than right now because new customers are now getting $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place just a $5 bet. That's right, $200 in bonus bets no matter what. Win or lose when you place your first bet of just $5. That's 40 times your money for free straight into your account. There's no gimmicks. There's no hidden tricks or fees. You can use those bonus bets on virtually anything this week, even on the NFL, MLB playoffs, NHL, or even the NBA starting next week. They make it as easy as it sounds. Bet five, get 200. Simple as that. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on all the action. The app, it's so easy to use. They got everything you need from money lines to parlays to prop bets. You name it, they got it. FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire college football season, including the national championship. Right now, they got Michigan and Georgia both at plus 270. Bet 10, win 27. Cash out 37, bada bing, bada boom. Go check it out. See for yourself. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on today. America's number one sports book, FanDuel, official sports book partner of the NFL. Okay, guys, second half, Gophers come out. They kind of flipped the switch a little bit because in the first half, again, on seven possessions, they had five three and outs. Cali Manis comes out, though, second half, three for six, 40 yards on the first drive. They'd have to punt, but you could see them just start to get a little bit more aggressive. Back and forth, they kind of went trading off some punts, playing the field position game. And then late third quarter, it was who else? Tyler Newbin coming on the delayed blitz, coming in, forcing the strip sack. Gophers force another turnover, get the ball at the Iowa 10-yard line. They go on a th- quick three and out. Forced to take a field goal, but that would make it 10-9. They trail Iowa by one heading into the fourth quarter. The defense, guys, was absolutely lights out. Kane, you kind of touched on it. They forced two more punts. Early fourth quarter, Cali Manis hits Daniel Jackson, 39 yards. Finally, the big chunk play they were just so desperate for, and they needed all day. That sets them up with the go-ahead field goal. The rest, I felt like, was just all Gophers defense. I feel like that's what we're going to be reading about and talking about all week long. Outstanding day on that side of the ball. You just can't say it enough. 20 yards on the ground given up all day. That was less than one yard per carry all said and done. And most importantly, in a game like this, again, two critical turnovers, one of which helps set up one of those game-winning field goals. So, Ron, second half, they got just enough out of the run game, it felt like. You know, those two- and three-yard carries were going for four and five all of a sudden. The pass game made just enough big plays. And the defense, man, it was absolutely lights out when they needed to be in the second half specifically. Talk about the switch in the second half and what you saw. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, though, the defense for most of the game was doing a pretty good job. Again, penalties helped the offense out for Iowa. But offensively, what I liked what they came out early was they started to go after big strike plays. They started to try to stretch the field a little bit. Um, it was almost like a flip was switched or, a, 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 uh, yeah, a switch was flipped. Yeah, a mm-hmm. switch was flipped. Um, and they figured it out. But Ethan Kallik Manis is – his consistency is going to be the problem long-term. They're going to have to make sure he's consistent. I know Coach Harbaugh, they said he made – or Harbaugh, they made comments about like, hey, you have to point your foot at your target. You have to put your shoulder to your target. That stuff should be known to a D1 quarterback. But, again, everybody's still learning. He's still young. Um, but I did like the aggressiveness that came out. Some of the balls that were just dropped. I mean, if you take away some of these drops, we're having a different story. But I was just watching Chris Hartman-Bell's live, Instagram live. Man. 
they're in the locker room as well, smoking stogies. They're hype. And so for people that are going to hate on the way they're reacting to this, this is a huge win for a team that nobody really thought should be down there playing this game and had a chance to win. And this was the number 24 team in the country. And so you look at the Northwestern game as well. If they hold that out, it's a totally different story, but I'm not going to even go back into that because that's what's really frustrating about this, Preach. this win Preach is if you beat <laughs> yep. Northwestern like you're supposed to, yep. you have more control over the West because you still – because Iowa beat Wisconsin and then you still get to play Wisconsin. So that's what really is annoying. It's like it was there. It was there. So now they just have to keep winning and then hope and, – and, of course, you got Ohio State, not going to lie. you got Ohio State, so we know that's going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. But – you would have had a chance to probably in the West because in the East, we know that's Ohio state, Michigan, but in the West, you guys are going to cannibalize each other a little bit, but you let Northwestern get the best of you. And that's, that's what's really frustrating. But I did like in the second half, how they came out a little bit more aggressive. And I think that was the key is what well, I, I, and I tweeted that where was this in the first half? Why right. not try to stretch the field in the first half? Right. I've always been taught offensively um, when I went to the coach as a coach was you number count. Look at the box. Look at the DBs. Really simple. If there's four down linemen or three down linemen, if you can get to a run, maybe run the ball. Motion the tight end like you've been doing and run the ball. But when all of a sudden you see three or four guys covering and you see maybe six or seven in the box, then you spread guys out. If they don't move, you know it's man coverage, and now you run a man beater. If the same thing, if you see four to five guys in coverage, you motion, they don't move, it's zone. Now you run your zone beater, but you got to get the ball out your hands quick. And I think that was the key for eighth. And there was times it's on the broadcast, like the, the Daniel Jackson corner route in the corner of the end zone. I felt like he could have stuck that in early and probably made that throw to the back of the end zone. And then he pulled it down and like, oh, he felt like he had to be too accurate. That's what a quarterback does. You have to be too accurate at every throw. Right. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just concerned a little bit about the hesitation uh, later in the game when some of those throws should have been thrown in, like that fade route, the, the slot fade route to the left of Daniel Jackson. He threw it out of bounds. He threw it too late. So one, he throws late, and one, he doesn't throw at all. It's about timing and when do you throw it. The fade, you throw it as soon as he stutters. You throw it to the corner now. You let him run to the corner. The corner route, when he stutters, you throw it now. You let him run to the corner because that cornerback has to honor the flat, and you he could have stuck a throw in there. But, again, he'll learn. Yeah, I, I do want to ask you guys about Cali McManus a little bit later on. Just kind of big picture talk, but wrap up the defensive conversation. Two guys up front that just really stuck out to me. Danny Strigow, the big nose tackle. He was outstanding. And then the run defense led by the linebacker, Maverick Baranowski. Those two in the trenches mixed with just the playmaking ability of Tyler Newbin. Those three men were outstanding. Kane, you already talked about the defensive performance today just in general, but who specifically really stood out to you and was kind of the heart and soul in Iowa City today? Honestly, you might be surprised by this one, but I think it was Devin Eastern from uh, Shakopee, yeah. Minnesota, but he was in on a ton of these run stops. And you're talking about they ran for less than one yard of carry. He was in on a ton of those from the get-go, from first half where there were struggles to the second half throughout the entire game. So I was really impressed by the big man, young player who's really coming into his own. And Joe Rossi even shouted him out in the coaches' pressers earlier in the week. So it's great to see him really taking on that next step and getting more confidence as he's going. Yeah, well said. Huge news, by the way, just hours before the game. We all know PJ's always super tight to the best about player injuries and whatnot, but the long-awaited return of the freshman phenom running back Darius Taylor finally comes to fruition. That would prove to be huge because Zach Evans, who actually got the bulk of the early touches, ended up leaving in the first half. In a low-scoring affair here where every yard mattered, Taylor finished the day with 
over 80 all-purpose yards. Ron, talk about his impact to the offense, what it was like to get him back, and what he adds to this team um, You know, when he's in the mix and out on the field. Yeah, I mean, what you see is him, he always seems to fall forward. And that's the thing I love mm-hmm. about Darius Taylor. He's always trying to find, he finds the right hole, it seems like, but then also his strength. There was times where he was hit at the goal line and he would get four yards. There was times where he was hitting the backfield. He would get you three yards. Like he was, and everybody I think remembers this when he's running to his right, it's a, it looks like he's running too far, but like lateral behind the line of scrimmage. But I know that's how the play was called. And then their, their cash backer, he hits him like two yards behind the line of scrimmage, but somehow Darius Taylor drags him three yards down the field and gets like a positive, like two or three yard gain. That was huge because then you get another run for four yards and you have a chance to throw for an easy first down. Those are the things that Darius Taylor brings here. And then also when you see him catch the ball in space, he's tough for one person to tackle. And it, 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 he just he makes every play look like he has a chance. And so for a kid to, to start off not playing much, uh, everybody assumed this was Sean Tyler. And Sean Tyler fumbled his way behind Darius Taylor. And Darius Taylor hasn't looked back since. He was still leading uh, the Big Ten in, in, in yards. This is not a big one for him. But he's going to have some more opportunities when you look at Illinois, Michigan State, and Purdue to put up some more big yards. Um, but but this is a kid that's special, man. He just has to stay healthy. That's that's the one thing uh, that, that bothers me, the Northwestern game. I know we're not going to put it on one person, but mm-hmm. if he's healthy to finish mm-hmm. out the Northwestern game, who knows what it looks like. You know, like there's a lot you can say about this kid, but that's one of them. He falls forward and he keeps his legs moving, and I love the way he plays his game. Yeah, well said and totally agree there too. And Kane, we've seen a lot. I mean, a lot of elite Gophers running backs come and go through the program's history. Small sample size, I know, and not a game today filled with big monster fantasy football stats, but Gophers total yardage, 239. I mean, Darius Taylor had almost 90 of those. So just how important is this kid to this team? Oh, I think he's extremely important, not only for this year, but moving forward. So I really like to see him get more and more involved and get more and more opportunities. But I also like to see the fans really pushing for trying to help in NIL areas and whatnot to keep this kid here because he is a special talent. He's a fun player to watch. And hopefully they'll keep finding ways to get him the ball in creative ways. Like those passes that he got in this game, they were big big time and like ron said he can't it's he's hard to tackle one-on-one in that type of coverage situation so i think the more creative usage they find with him and hopefully you get the compliment of zach evans back if the injury isn't too bad i think that this running back room can be really special for the gophers moving forward yeah well said i want to keep diving into this one as we wrap up and where the gophers go from here but first Quick reminder, don't forget this episode brought to you by Jace Medical. Life throws plenty of curveballs at us. That's why the Jace case is out there providing you with five, count them, five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use, giving you that peace of mind. You got access to the right medication on hand whenever you need it with the Jace case. Jace case is simple. They handle the entire evaluation process. Plus, they've got licensed pharmacy medication delivery to your doorstep along with the consultations and care when you need it. Save over $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical. Plus, save an additional $20 when you use the code LOCKEDON. That's one word, LOCKEDON, at checkout over at jacemedical.com. J-A-S-E medical.com. Use the promo code locked on for the peace of mind when you need it. 
Okay, kind of touched on the offense a little bit, but we're officially 18 games played in the career of Ethan Kalig Manis. I think 11 games started now, 55% completion percentage, 9 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio. Ron, you kind of touched on it, but talk to me about the quarterback play they've gotten from him because there was a lot of hype and buzz, obviously, a lot of excitement to get some fresh blood in here after six years of Tanner Morgan. What's your overall impression of him thus far through halfway through the season as far as the good and the bad? And what's your, I guess, confidence level in him moving forward right now in the big scheme, right? Not just today, but in the big scheme. We're still pretty early in his career, but yet maybe not the start some people hope for. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm a little concerned about his consistency. I said that earlier. Like yeah. when you look at that one throw, the comeback, I think it was third and 15, and he throws a 16-yard mm. strike. Comeback to Daniel Jackson, all upper body. Like he put everything he had into that throw, and it was perfect. And then you turn around the next drive, and you th- you, you hop, skip a ball. You throw one a little bit uh, low again. I mean, it, and it's a simple out route. And it's like, what, what are we getting? What is going on? And so that concerns me. I'm not going to lie. Like, it concerns me just a little bit. Now, again, this guy's young. Uh, he has the NFL body. He has the, the prototypical quarterback look. Uh, he has the arm talent. But sometimes it's like here. Like, how can you know every time? Because certain quarterbacks have that swagger. When they get the ball with time, you know, expiring, you just you see it in them. You're like, oh, this guy's about to drive down. And there's, you know, like Patrick Mahomes. Um, you look at even Drake May, Caleb Williams, Shadur Sanders. Like they just have that swagger about them when they get under center, Bo Nix. And and Ethan has it at times, and other times it feels like um, he just doesn't know what's going on. And so I don't know if that's the way the offense is run because it is a check-with-me system, so he's having to check the sideline. He's having to then go back and, and change the play with the offensive line, and he's not physically, mentally doing it himself. It's He's getting help from the coaches. I don't know because every check-with-me quarterback, and I'd have to do a little bit more research, but what I've always seen is check-with-me quarterbacks, when they get to the NFL, they struggle a little bit because they don't know how to decipher on their own without somebody being able to help them out mid-snap from the field, whereas the NFL, that microphone is off. You can't talk to your coach after you get under center. Mm -hmm. And so that's the only thing I worry about is how reliant is he on the coaches versus what does he see? Like if it's cover two and he knows he has a corner route and a hitch or some kind of Zorro route, he knows where he's going. On that double drag where the safety did – the safe or the, the, the referee did hit Daniel Jackson – I just felt like his eyes weren't on Daniel Jackson. Like he should have been looking right to make those backers keep moving and then know I'm coming back to Daniel Jackson. I felt like he never realized this is man. Daniel Jackson is going to come out on the back end open. Now I do blame Daniel Jackson. You should not be running a route at the line of scrimmage. That that red line, he shouldn't be there. That's where the ref is headed. He should have been behind that line by four yards. You run a run at third and seven, you run your shallow at four yards. If he does that, if he stair steps up, makes the DB pause a little bit, and then goes full speed, he's coming out on that back end and nobody's over there and it's a race to the first down. Uh, and who knows if not more, if the guy misses the tackle, it's a touchdown because everybody else was flowing to the right. So instances like that, I just worry about Ethan Calicmanis' eyes. Like, where is he looking? What's his key? Uh, how is he being coached? Because that's the only thing that, that worries me is that he doesn't always look like that. Because when you see those throws, you're like, why can't you do that 30 times a game? And that's that's the thing that's concerning. Yeah, stepping off that, Kane, is there a part of his game you thought we'd see more of by now or an area that's just not clicking when you go back and watch these games every week? Or what's the offense, I guess, just missing right now that could give them a more consistent output week in and week out like Ron's talking about? Because we know the offensive line is more than respectable. They got Taylor back. He's an elite weapon now on the ground and through the air. What's holding this offense back in your eyes, just kind of big picture? 
I think the biggest thing is consistency, like Ron was saying. And it's even Coach Flex said in the presser this last week that things are about a foot off on some of these passes. And that foot off can turn to turnovers. So the right processing sometimes has taken place, but it's just not in the right spot. So I think it's definitely cleaning up the consistency. Like we saw in this game, there were a couple balls that were dirted that should have been first downs on key third down. So you have to hit the layups. You have to get those ones, no matter how fast the game is, no matter if you're, if it's coaching or other things, those are the ones you have to get. So there's still some young mistakes that he really has to clean up. But with that, I am really curious about Kind of the coaching aspect that Ron was saying is what is coaching telling him to do? And at this point, is it too much? I mean, we've seen him work with now Kirk Scirocco. We saw him work with Sanford. And now we've seen him with Greg Harbo. Are there differences in principles? And is he thinking too much like we've seen from a guy in Justin Fields where he shows flashes here and there and then he looks very bad and everybody's like, oh, man, is he ready to play a quarterback? Can he pass the ball? But then you hear things about the coaching and things like that. So I'm just really curious to know what they're doing to make it easy for him to then he has to capitalize on those things like the layups because when we see the flashes the open corner or the open route to Daniel Jackson that was a huge chunk play those are the flashes that give you a ton of confidence but then the dirt balls and the easy ones that are missed that's where it brings it back down and I think it's making it hard for fans to fully buy in on him right now yeah two minutes left here guys Ron seven games in the book five to play Gophers sitting at four and three Michigan State and Illinois two home games now on deck before at Purdue at Ohio State and Wisconsin at home to finish the season at home for the Axe. So when you look at the remaining schedule now after today's win, what's your realistic prediction, your feelings about how this team could look by season's end? Like where do you want to see them improve the most to feel good about a potential bowl game here? Uh, I think you're muted, Brian. Sorry, here we go. Uh, so Illinois, Michigan State, Purdue. I think those are three wins there. So mm-hmm. right now as that stands – that's putting them in a bowl game. Wisconsin, I think they can win that. So honestly, like down the stretch, they can go four and one. I, I think they can. After beating Iowa and Iowa beat Wisconsin, and you saw it was a similar game as today, 15 to six, punt, 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 field goal, punt, 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 field goal. You know, like that's what this game against Wisconsin could be. And we know now Minnesota is prepared for something like that. But by the end of the season, you would hope being at home, you know, for senior day for guys like Tyler Newbin and some of these guys that are going to the NFL – that by then, four more weeks, five more weeks, uh, Aiden Kellick managed to get a little bit more comfortable within his office. Now, granted, like, again, we keep forgetting this is his first year starting in, in college football, and we were hoping it would be better, but it's been good enough. I, I, I'm going to keep saying this. Nobody expected him to beat Michigan. Nobody expected him to beat North Carolina. But Northwestern, Louisiana, Eastern Michigan, those were wins they should have had. And I think that's what's so frustrating. Everybody assumed Eastern Michigan, Nebraska, uh, you know, you go, you go through these and look, you got Nebraska, Eastern Michigan, uh, should have had Northwestern, but you got, uh, Louisiana and then you got Iowa. Those are four. Northwestern should have been five, Michigan state, six, Iowa, Purdue. That's eight wins there. And then Wisconsin. So if they went nine and three now, who knows where that puts them in the West, but that probably puts them in the West championship, nine and three beating Wisconsin and Iowa puts them in the West championship or sorry, in the championship versus either Michigan, Ohio state. And who cares at that point what happens in the big 10 championship? Cause that's, that's free ball. That's free money. But again, I, I, I see them going four and one down the stretch. I feel like they can uh, because today they were turnover free. Like they were error free. They actually turned the ball over on, on Iowa. Iowa's defense normally does the teams what Minnesota did to Iowa today. And so that's the key. Can they continue to, to play at this type of clip defensively, offensively, they got to pick it up. 
Gophers snap the streak today versus Iowa. Bring Floyd back home for the first time in almost 3,000 days. Think about that, 3,000 days. P.J. Fleck gets his first win versus the Hawkeyes. Rest assured, we'll be breaking it all down all week right here on the Locked On Sports Minnesota channel. Kane Robb, Locked On Gophers host. Check out his full deep dive and reaction coming out in the next few days. I'm sure Ron Johnson, Gophers legend, Hall of Famer. Check him out on the Ron Johnson Show. And make sure to subscribe to the Locked On Sports Minnesota channel because we're doing this every week. Gophers hold on versus Iowa. Move to 4-3 and three on the season. Michigan State on deck next week. Back at home at the bank with another 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time kickoff. That's Kane Robb. That's Ron Johnson. I'm Luke Inman saying row the boat. Sky you Ma. Subscribe to the channel so you can catch us same time, same place next week. Thanks, as always, for everyone who tuned in. But until next time, signing out.